Hello and welcome to the Sonic Cinema Podcast. My name is Brian Scuttle and thank you for joining me at www.sonic-cinema.com. So this discussion is going to be on the Rage Carry 2, a uh, 23-year-removed sequel to Brian De Palma's classic uh, adaptation of the Stephen King novel. And I'm joined on this one by Phil Faso of Death Ensemble. And uh, I'm pleased to... uh, have him on the podcast again. I'm looking forward to uh, this discussion. I think it's going to be pretty fun and interesting one. So, Phil, thank you very much for joining me on the podcast. Oh, it's always my pleasure to speak with you about films, Brian. And as I said on the other one, there were a number of great films to come out in 1999. The two we are discussing are not those. <laughs> <laughs> no, they aren't. But this this is... I, I wait, I'm I'm curious. This is going to be an interesting discussion. Uh, you know, we talked about End of Days, and uh, that one is it. Both it both of them are yeah. Both of us basically agreed that 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 was kind of atrocious. I'm not going to lie. I actually now I will preface this by saying it's nowhere near as good as the Brian De Palma movie, but I will say I don't think it's. I don't think it's terrible. I think it's it's got a lot of issues in terms of being a sequel to Carrie, but I think when it comes to the idea of a story like Carrie, I think it might even I think it kind of does a better job than the Kimberly Pierce remake in 2013. I will agree with that. I will not agree and tell you that this is an awful movie, but that's okay. <laughs> so so let's start off with talking about where the seed of all this is, you know, Stephen King writes Carrie. He was a school teacher at one time. He basically took two girls that were in, you know, he knew from high school, I think, and one that was in his class, or whatever, and he kind of merged them into one character and created this story about this put upon poor girl. She's got this overly religious mother, you know, she who's basically repressing her from living and then she's also got these latent these latent telekinetic powers that are also being repressed in her and when those come out awful things happen right so as the first adaptation of a stephen king novel into a movie they hired brian palmer yes who for my for me is the most brilliant visual stylist ever to put you know, an image to film. You know, the thing that I always get watching his movies is how creative he was with the camera. He does all kinds of techniques like split screens and, you know, you get you get the same thing from three different viewpoints at, at times and all sorts of yeah. things. Here's a guy who is a massive filmmaker, Yeah. right? Okay, trying to recreate Carrie in any form, I'm sorry, you can't close to do what Brian De Palma did. And again, this is so they came out. They came out with Carrie Two in 1999. Yes, um, I believe that the TV movie with Angela Bettis was. It was a couple of years around. after this. It was a couple of years after, I think. Yeah. So they, they did it there, and you know they did some interesting things there because a lot of Stephen King's novel is actually story being told with cops interviewing the survivors. So mm-hmm. Sue Snell is one of the survivors that they interview. And they use that as a framing structure. So I thought that was interesting. Yeah. And I love Angela Bettis. I thought Angela Bettis was great. But again, 
it's not the Palma. Right. Then you get to the most recent one with with uh, Chloe Grace Moretz, I believe, was in it, yes. right? Yes. And, and I just thought that. The mother. Yes, yeah. I just thought that. And again, you can't like. Before this made the uh, what was it the the pool playing one with Paul Newman. I love that flick. I can't think of the name of it right now. Oh, Color Money versus. No, 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 no. The Hustler. There you go. She made the, the Hustler and was Academy Award nominated for that, and then took off fifteen years, comes back to carry, and she's nominated for an Academy Award again. <laughs> Incredible actress. You know, Julie, Julianne Moore has her talents, but she's she's not part of the Lord. Yeah. Anyway, I thought that with the new one, it could have done a lot more with the whole cybering bully, cybering thing. I thought they didn't really play that up as they could have. And there are all sorts of things that they could have done. But I think that no matter what you do with Carrie, you're always going to compare it to what Brian De Palma did, and it's always going to fall short. Now, that that's is, not the only problem with this. But no, go ahead. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no. And I will, I will agree with you on all counts there. Uh, okay. I was extremely disappointed when I ended up seeing the Kimberly Pierce movie because I was really looking forward to that because – Kimberly Pierce, not an untalented filmmaker. She did Boys Don't Cry. She did Stop Loss, both of which were fantastic. I was really yep. looking forward to the work that she would get out of Chloe Grace Moretz and Julianne Moore. And you're absolutely right in that it didn't I didn't feel I didn't feel like it went far enough with yeah. sort of updating the story. The rage you so when we go to and honestly, like the the TV adaptation with Angela Bettis, unfortunately, I've not seen. Um, but so going to the rage, you're right. This this overall, this is not a this this is not. It's a very formulaic script. It's a very. Yes. It's the the ending, the apocalyptic ending of the movie just doesn't work whatsoever. The CG is ridiculous in that movie. I will say the and one of the biggest problems with the movie, I don't have a problem with bringing back Amy Irving's character from the original care Carrie to sort of tie the new movie together with the original sure. Carrie. I don't have a problem with that. That's fine. My biggest problem is why does Rachel, who's the teleconnect girl in this movie, have to be related to Carrie as well? Well, because otherwise she wouldn't be able to call it the Rage Carrie too, which is kind of funny because her name's not Carrie. Yeah. <laughs> now, the whole thing about that is you actually get scenes with Sissy Spacek in this, but they're ones that they just ported over from the Palmas movie. Yeah. So they just stuck films from there as flashbacks. And it's funny because during a number of them, you'd hear Lori, Piper Lori doing her iconic, they're all going to laugh at you. They're yeah. all going to laugh at you. Yeah. Which is not a conversation that happened in front of Sue Snell in that movie. No. So let's, let's, well, no, it is. It's like, but I, I kind of understand because it's, it's a problem that it's, it's, it's a problem that a lot of, franchise quote-unquote franchises end up having because it's like you have you feel this natural impulse you have to connect everything to the original like sure. this, like to get way off topic here the the this is what infuriated me the most about the pirates of the caribbean franchise is that 
it's the same fucking pirates time and time and time again. Oh, yeah, absolutely. As opposed to new different pirates in the Caribbean. It's like you're completely wasting an entire franchise for five characters. So Well, let's 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 talk about the Genesis because I did some research on this film yeah. too. So apparently this was not written to be connected to Carrie. Correct. I don't know if that's true or not, but I read that in a couple different places. I read that as And well. I read that I read that MGM basically got their hands on the script and they said, Well, this is so close to Carrie, let's just tweak it a little and make it a Carrie film. Yeah. All right. So therein lies your problem because Carrie White, God bless her, her soul, dies terribly in the movie in the original movie mm-hmm. to Palmas, right yes you know and she unfortunately she's like doomed to die from the second that's rolling tampons out her at the beginning right and that's that's kind of sad you know and there's there's an arc to that where you know you say to yourself wow this poor girl went through all this she finally had a shot at being normal right and then some kids fuck things up for her and all of a sudden it's a disaster, and she ends up killing all of them and yeah. basically basically killing herself, right? Yeah. So so that happens, right? So that is that, right? Mm-hmm. There is no reason on earth to make a sequel to that movie. Right. Now, not only that, but when you look at what they do with Stephen King's franchise, a lot of them, there's no reason to have Children of the Corn 2, let alone Children of the Corn 27, you know? Yeah. It's just that Stephen King's name, even today, I mean, with, with it coming out a couple of years ago and, you know, the the uh, the Castle Rock series that J.J. Yeah. Abrams produced, King is hot again now. Yeah. So even in this period, you know, he's just – he's – and again, I've been reading Stephen King. The first, the first adult novel I ever read was Cujo back in the 80s when I was a kid. Yeah. You know, I love that novel, love that movie. He's never been my favorite author. You know, he does a lot of things that I like, and he does a lot of things yeah. that, you know, whatever. I'm not going to get into that. The important thing is that his name still has cachet. Mm-hmm. So they came across this script and said, well, you know what? If we make it a carry sequel, then it'll drive. It'll bring people in. That's pretty much, I'm sure, what the thinking was, you know? Yeah. So they morphed it into that, and it becomes this. Now, that's the background. So, So there's problems in that. Right. Mm-hmm. And like you said, there's no reason to connect this girl to Carrie at all. None. Yeah. Okay. So there is one good scene that I will talk about later, but we'll get to that later because I will get to, to Amy Irving as Sue Snell. We'll go through all that stuff in a little bit. But yeah. so that's that's the ex- that's the origin. Now, let's talk about the execution. Brian De Palma's film starts off with an absolutely terrifying scene that doesn't have telekinesis or monsters or anything. It's this poor girl being harassed as she's taking a shower and everything's fine. She gets done in, in the gym and she's, yeah. she's taking a shower <laughs> and all of a sudden she has her first period. Mm-hmm. And because she, because she's so repressed and her, her mom is keeping her from being an actual woman, an adult. Yep wants her to be this little girl forever, she's horrified. She has no idea what's happening. Yeah. And then all these terrible girls see that and start to throw tampons at her. Yeah. And it doesn't sound like, it sounds, you know, if you, if you said, oh, well, this girl was in the shower and people started throwing tampons, you may think it's a joke, but the way it's executed, it's absolutely 
terrifying because oh, I'm in Carrie at that oh, moment. I'm yeah. in her head. Sissy Spacek is so convincing that I'm buying in from the first scene in that movie. Mm-hmm. And I'm already terrified, and nothing supernatural has happened at all. Yeah. Flash forward to 1999, and Carrie 2 starts out with a woman painting a wall rat. Mm-hmm. So it's like, how? How do you choose that to be your starter? Well, and I will say, I mean, I, I, I think they're, I, I think they're, they're interesting choices in this movie. Like you said, it didn't necessarily start as a Carrie movie. It, it's actually, and the script is actually inspired by a real life case of high school jocks who chronicled their sexual conquests for sport and bragging rights. And you see that in this movie. And basically, Rachel, after seeing her best friend kill herself, basically sort of become... You you start to see her... She she sort of becomes sort of this avenging angel, I guess. And she's got telekinetic hair uh, powers. And, And the thing is, it's like, that is... That's an interesting idea. I think that is an interesting choice. And it's like, it's something that I really, it's one of the things in this movie that I really thought, okay, this is, this is a good way into this premise. It's a good way into this premise. The problem, part of the problem is Rachel was not necessarily, and to your point of bringing up that amazing opening scene, Rachel is not in the original carry. I mean, the the opening scene of the original carry. Yeah. Rachel was not a victim of these, of this case, of of these. No, I thought that stories. was really. I thought that was really weird too. I thought it was really weird that, and the whole thing is so her friend goes out and she's got this. She meets her friend who's Mina Savari. Yeah, from 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 1999's Oscar Darling, American Beauty, right? And American so, Pie. And American Pie, a year later, American yes. American Pie, the exact same year. Yes. <laughs> so here's 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 her fresh meets a friend on the bus. Her friend's all excited. I got something to tell you. I'm not going to tell you right now, right? So then we find out that she went out and and slept with this guy, and she's all excited. She lost her virginity, apparently. And then we find out that these guys are playing this disgusting game yeah. with an actual notebook where each guy's got his name and then they write down point. And you know what? I I, I don't really buy into the term toxic masculinity. I think it's overused. I think everyone's a little too sensitive today. But if there was ever a case of toxic masculinity in a horror film, it's these jerks, right? Yeah. yeah. There's no way. So these guys are just disgusting. They're, they, they're subhuman creeps, right? Mm-hmm. One, of whom, one of whom is one of the sons from Home Improvement, by the way. Yes. <laughs> Which, yes. as soon as I saw him on the screen, I'm like, oh, my God, this kid? So I'm thinking Tim Allen and the guy on the other side of the fence every time he comes on the screen. Yeah. But the, so the thing is, so she's, she's, she's got this secret, and she's going to tell her. She's going to tell Rachel later on. And then it cuts. This, it's this weird way it's cut. So you don't really, like, there's no connective tissue, but then you see her and she looks very upset. 
Rachel's friend. Yeah. And she goes on the roof where this is the only school in the world, I'm sure, that has a gardening club that has plants on the roof. Right. And she decides that she's going to kill herself and she throws herself off the roof yeah. and lands onto a car. Right. And yeah. Rachel, see, here's part of my problem. So Rachel sees this, you know, and, and, and she's, you know, upset. And then you see all the lockers blow up. So this is the first big, big scene of the telekinesis, right? Yeah. So the lockers blow open and okay. So Carrie, you know, Rachel's got something strange going on with her, but whatever, that's besides the point. So, so, you know, my thing is later on, you see her at work with the headphones on and it's, she's at a photo mat where she works and she doesn't look like she's like heartbroken by this. Yeah. I haven't seen best friend forever. Right. You've been my friend since ninth grade. I'm 46 now for more than 30 years. This guy's been my best friend. Even back then, if he had died, God forbid, if he had died our senior year, I would have been mortified for weeks. Yeah. She's just like, oh, well, everything's fine. <laughs> so, again, you know, it's a matter of we talked about tonal issues in, in end of days. My big thing is she's not nearly – and, again, the actress, I forget her name. She does a competent job. I don't blame yeah. her. Yeah. But she's not nearly as affected in this as – I would think as a student that age would be, you know, and had, she, I don't think that's on her. I think that's more on Kat Shea who directed this because Kat mm -hmm. Shea, not Brian De Palma on the no. director's scale, you know? Well, and so, the thing so is, it, it goes into like, cause a lot of horror movies have this issue where it's like, you know, a lot of more modern horror movies have this issue where it's like, people don't necessarily deal with death in the same way that you would expect them to in real life. And sure. like, there, there are very few horror movies that are really effective in this way. And it's like, what you're pointing out is, yeah, I mean, it's absolutely true, but I mean, it's also an issue. Like this is a very nineties. It's not only a very nice team movie. It's also a very nice horror movie where it's like a lot of horror movies not all, but a lot of horror movies have this issue where it's like they don't it it's about getting to it's about getting to the horror. You know, everything else is not sure. really is marginalized and it's all about getting to the horror imagery. So speaking about that, going back to I wanna go back real quickly to where her friend throws herself off, Mina Savari. Who, by the way, is in this film with the kid who plays Shipwreck in American Pie. Yeah. So you have two American Pie alum yeah, here. That's that's right. I forgot <laughs> he was in that too. Oddly yeah. enough. So the the thing is, so like to to puncture we really need to get into a conversation about these guys, but this is how I'm gonna start this off, right? They're so they're so toxically, disgustingly obsessed with their masculinity yeah. and their arrogance and their football players and all that. And one of them pops onto the screen and it's shot from inside the window. So you see the girl's face is pressed up and there's blood everywhere and broke glass. And the kid is like, man, whose car this is? That person should be really pissed. Yeah. I'm like, oh my God. Like, you're hitting me over the head with it now, you know? Yeah. yeah. So... The problem is, so I, I do find it interesting that it was basically 
Christy Hardigan in the first one. And and the, the women, you know, you had uh, PJ Soul's character, the camera, but it was mainly females who were the antagonists yeah. in the first one. I, I did find it interesting that now it's males and it's these quote unquote, these guys who think they're alpha males yeah. and they're more obsessed about the football team than the fact that, you know, the kid from Home Improvement technically committed statutory rape, which yeah. is, you know, it's just, I, I, I don't. I don't remember if that was going on culturally at that point. I know that stuff's a lot more prominent now with the Me Too movement, mm -hmm. but I find it absolutely disgusting that these characters act the way they act in this film. So, again, I think if this thing does everything right, it's framing what high school males, actually what any age male should never be, you yeah. know? Yeah. Like like you said, they, they turn the whole thing into a game that they're going to do. And I did not realize that that was based on a real thing. I could see yeah. high school males on a football team doing that set. Yeah. You know? And that's yeah. that's disgusting. Mm -hmm. So the fact that that has some basis in reality, that's probably creepier than anything happened that happened on the screen. Yeah. But, you know, you have the one guy who thinks – the one – Alpha jock there who thinks that first off he goes to the photo mat and offers to pay for the film. He's gonna buy her off and get the film. Yeah. Her best friend died and she's got pictures of the best friend with the home the kid who slept with her. Yeah. Right? So he's gonna buy her off and then she won't take money. So she says, Oh, well, I'll come back after you're done. We'll hang out, have a good time, I'll drive you around. Basically implying that, hey, I'll get you late. You know, you can, yeah. you can sleep with me. The greater glory of life, you can sleep with me. Mm -hmm. And she responds, oh, well, I'm a dyke. So, <laughs> so as it's just, it's, it was so, my skin cringed every time these guys were on the screen, Brian. Yeah. I have to say it. If this movie did anything right, it made me embarrassed that I am a male among males like yeah. those type guys. Yeah. Such as those type guys, you know? Yeah, and unfortunately, we know. And again, it gets kind of cartoonish at points with it. But again, the whole point is that there are guys that are like that, and that's right. that's just thick and embarrassing. And you I know? and I think that's one of the. And I I agree. I I do think that's one of the. Now, yes, they do get cartoonish with it. You're right about that. And I do, but and that's one of the things I really that registered with me about the movie is that how how effectively I feel like overall I think it it captured that moment and I mean I I I feel like this is a it's a movie you would hope that they would obviously be a little give it a little bit more weight now but if this movie had come out like six months ago I I can see it resonating I I can see it resonating and as Part of the problem, but part of the problem is they basically frame it as a sequel to Carrie. And part of the problem with that is, well, you have to connect it to Carrie somehow. Oh, she's got teleconnect powers. Well, how does she have teleconnect powers? Oh, her father happened to be, you know, Carrie's, fa Carrie White's father as well. How is that possible? Which absolutely, like which absolutely. Yeah, I was gonna say because he's got to be, he's he's got to be, he must have slept with the mother about fifteen years after Carrie was born, maybe. Yeah. And it's just like this throwaway thing in there where it's yeah. like, it's just like, hey, you know what? She had the same dad. 
Oh, well, you have the insane mother telling Sue Snell that he had the insane dad, the same dad. So you don't even have a reliable person telling you that information. Yeah, right? and the thing is, it's like, I think there, there was, I feel like there's probably a way they could have done this and still sort of sold it as a sequel to Carrie without having that direct connection to, oh, she's Carrie White's half-sister. You know, it's like you have Amy Irving's character right there. It's like that's all the connection I feel like you should have to make. Well, just it's think like, about it this way. Let's go. Let's go back to like she's Good. seen this type of thing before, and it's like that's that's one of the. It's like if you do nothing else to connect it to the De Palma film, that's fine. You know, just have Amy Irving there's like a, I can't remember she she's a counselor, right? Yes. Yeah. Well, let's just think of it this way for a second. Let's go back to Stephen King, right? Yeah. Stephen King wrote The Shining. Now, I know you're a huge Shining fan. We've had our debates back and forth, you and I, about that movie. Yeah. He wrote The Shining. It took him about 30 years, I guess. No, maybe even more, to write a sequel to The Shining, right? Yeah. He wrote Doctor Sleep. Yeah. No, I haven't read Doctor Sleep. I've read The Shining. I've seen both versions of it. The thing is that he didn't take Danny Torrance and put him back in the the Overlook Hotel. That would have been ridiculous. Yeah. So what he did was he created a whole new plot and moved things in a different direction. You still have the shine in there, and you still have some stuff going on from, from what I understand. But the problem with this film is it's a sequel, but it's really a, a poorly made remake at the same time. Yeah. And that's yeah. part of the, like, so think of, think of it this way. You want to take a girl who's got these powers, even if you want to have Sue Snell in it one way or another. I can accept that. Yeah. And I think Sue Snell would have been great because Sue Snell has been haunted by this. It's obvious from Amy Irving's performance, which I thought was a little flat, by the way, but I think that's the way she was directed. <laughs> yeah. But it's obvious from her performance that she's haunted by what happened to Carrie. Absolutely. You know? And it's kind of funny that even after all these years, you know, she tried to redeem herself by sending Carrie to the prom with her boyfriend. And that turned out disastrous, you know. Yeah. So even after all these years, I'm getting the I'm getting the idea that Sue Snell is so invested in Rachel because she's trying to fix the sins of the past. She yeah. can't save Carrie. Yeah. Carrie's dead, but she can save hopefully Rachel, right? Yeah. Makes sense, all right? Yeah. Unfortunately, you know, the the whole thing is that you know we've seen this before. Mm-hmm. We've seen all of it before. You know, we've seen it tweaked a little differently here, but it's not like there are so many things you could do. If you would have taken Carrie and put her, I don't know, anywhere. So you want to take Rachel and say she's telekinetic. You want to make the, the Carrie connection. You want to have Sue Snell in it one way or another with Amy Irving playing her. Why Why do it in high school again? Yeah. Why Why do this? Because it's a retread at that point. You know, there's nothing creative there. Yeah. And again, you know, that's the whole, I'm sure part of it was that you know, like I said, this was originally not a Carrie script. Mm-hmm. wasn't intended that way. But even if that was the case, have somebody rewrite it. Put it in some different milieu. Yeah. You know? Put it somewhere different, you know? Have the character be a little older or a little younger. Have her be a grade schooler. Or have her be a 20, 20-something in an office somewhere. Right. Do something different with it, you know? Yeah. As opposed to, all right, well, here's a girl with telekinetic powers in school and well, I was going to say she's bullied, but she's really not bullied till the end of the sequel, right? Yeah. I mean, she's not. <laughs> so, you know, there's so much that 
I just think that there are so many missed opportunities if you want to take the source material and propel it forward instead of, mm-hmm. you know, just regurgitating the same stuff. You no, know? that's that's absolutely true. And no, you're and it goes to it goes to the lack of originality and boldness when it comes to Hollywood doing sequels. Because it's like there's they to them sequels equals safe. So it's like, oh well we have to do if we're gonna do a sequel, we basically have to do the exact same thing. I mean do you? I mean I get that, you know, there are times where it's like, yeah, you do something new with a sequel, you get burned, but at the same time there are other, you know, it's like I, I think especially with something like Carrie, with the rage, or you know, with this concept, like you said, do it, do it in, even if you don't do it in the exact same way, do it in a way that at least changes, makes you feel like you've earned it and earned the idea of taking these char- a character, even if it's just a character from a, the original, and pushing propelling them forward into a different story. And, you know, yeah, exactly. Sue Snell, Sue Snell, because of the fact that she's really the only surviving witness to what Carrie did, is a good witness for that. And it's a good protect. She's a good protagonist, but it's like, give her something to do that's more than just, oh, I'm basically watching history repeat itself. Well, yeah, because what what this sequel does with Sue Snell's character is make her a passive observer more than anything else. Yeah, you know, it's, it's kind of like she's a throw-in. Yeah, and again, I understand you want to make a tie of the original, but if you're going to have Sue Snell in there, do something with her. Mm-hmm. The only scene, and I'll get back to what I said earlier, the only scene that I found really exciting in this film was when she's like, Carrie, uh, she's like, Rachel, I need to show you something. Yeah, and then they go to she takes her to the ruins of the school that she was in that Carrie burned out. Yeah. And I thought that seeing that school in that state of disrepair yeah. and, and breakdown and what that must do to Sue Snell's soul, I thought was really intriguing. Unfortunately, you know, there's not much like that in this scene, in this movie, because a lot of it's just a retread. Yeah. So you, you get, you know, she, she falls for the jock. He's even a football player. So yeah. it's just, you know, same thing over and over again. <laughs> And can we talk about Jason London's poor acting in this flick? <laughs> uh, oh, my yeah. God. <laughs> I'm not saying that the London brothers are, you know, like Academy Award, multiple Academy right. Award nominees or anything, yeah. but oh, my God. Could you have a flatter here? Okay, so he's a good-looking kid. Um, how about having a fall for somebody with some charisma? You know, yeah. Not somebody who happens to pick. Oh my god! Not somebody who happens to drive her and her dog to the vet. Her <laughs> dog, by the way, which gets run over by a fucking. Uh, I think it's a pickup that's pulling its trailer, right? Yeah, I'll get to the trailer in a second. So it's pulling its trailer. You see, like sixteen wheels run over the dog. You see the dog flip around and roll over. Yeah. And then she brings it to the hospital. They bring it to the hospital. It's like. Oh, it's got a couple broken bones and it has lost some blood, yeah. but you know it'll it'll survive. It'll be fine. Well, By the way, I do want to bring out I do want to bring out uh, one thing real quickly. There is one more connection, and I caught it. This is the first time I caught it watching it tonight because I've seen I don't know how I've seen this like a couple times made it through, but I have. 
if you watch very quickly what that guy is hauling in that trailer when he hits the dog, it's a bunch of pigs. Wow. So oddly, that is the only other in between this yeah. and the first movie. Yeah. <laughs> uh, wow. I. I. Yeah. I obviously I didn't pick up on that, but yeah, that's that's. Uh, yeah. Um. No, and it overall, I mean, look, this this is this this is a very predictable sequel. It's like because it goes exactly the way you expect it to go, and it's like. That the ending at the end, uh, the that ending, the apocalyptic ending, apocalyptic ending at this one, it's like, it, it's ridiculous. It is so ridiculously shot. It the effects are awful. They do. Not oh, but we need we awful. we need to we need to take a deep dive on this finale. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> All right, so so instead of the high school, because obviously this is not the same film, so we're not going to use the high school. They decide to have this at one of the Jock's houses at a house party, right? Yeah. After the big football game, right? So, Carrie, and again, there's a scene earlier where that blonde girl makes friends with her out of nowhere. See, the whole thing is, like, Sissy SpaceX Carrie in that movie, in the original, was so needy that it made sense when Sue Snell came to her to try to redeem herself, that it made sense for Carrie to gobble up that attention. Yeah. Whereas Rachel, in this movie, seems like she's kind of self-confident. Like, she doesn't yeah. seem to have problems yeah. with much. So, again, this blonde girl who's, you know, hanging out with Jocks and everything, and the blonde girl's friend who's pissed off that Jason London doesn't want to sleep with her anymore wants to sleep with Rachel. So the blonde girl like meets her at the makeup department in the mall, and all of a sudden they become instant friends <laughs> to the point where Carrie, sorry, not Carrie, to the point where Rachel, instead of waiting for her boyfriend who's just made the big touchdown in the game, yeah, instead of waiting for him to come out, will hop in a car with her and a bunch of these jocks, jocks that earlier in the film threatened to kill her, right? She'll hop into a car with them. They broke a window and all that. Drop into a car with them to go to this house, right? Yeah. So it turns out that she's had sex earlier in the film with Jason London's character. Yeah. I think, was, I think his name is Jesse in the film. So she's had sex with him earlier. It was a big you know, moment for her. It's her first time. It's yeah. really special. Jace, Jesse really cares about her a lot, right? Yeah. So while she's there... They give her drinks. Now, I can't imagine somebody that self-confident who appears to be a smart character, even at a high school level, taking drinks that have been made at a party like this from these guys, these toxically masculine, rapish jerks, right? Yeah. So she decides, okay, so I'm going to take a drink. So then, by whatever means, it turns out that they're going to put something on the TV. And they have this... So they have this notebook... Well, they actually keep stats of who slept with who, and yeah. they give them number grades, right? So it turns out that while Jesse was having sex, she was having sex with Jesse, that they filmed it. Yeah. And they're projecting it on this giant screen, right, at this kid's house, which yeah. triggers it triggers the carry ending, basically, yeah. right? So, so many things don't make sense in this ending. It's ridiculous. First off, the characters start flipping out. Everything's on fire. Same shit as the first one, right? Yeah. 
But one of the first things Rachel does is break all the windows in this house, right? So she smashed all the windows with her psychic powers, right? Yeah. So there's a scene almost immediately after that where all the kids are trying to get out the front door. Okay? Yeah. So you see the logistical problem in that. Why aren't they just walking out the fucking broken windows? Right? Yeah, exactly. So this thing is so poorly planned. Yeah. So Jock A, kid from Home Improvement, and the one girl decide, uh, the blonde girl decides, okay, now we have to get weapons. So don't ask me why this guy has like six harpoon guns in his, in his dad's office. There is literally an entire case of harpoon guns, right? That's Was he going to take five of his best friends out well hunting? Oh, God, I forgot about this. Oh, so they smash the window and they grab since I've seen this, but yeah. So they they grab, they smash the window because he's like, oh my god, it looks like the keys. So they smash the windows, grab the harpoon guns and a flag on, right? Yeah. So now Terry is going through her things. She's doing a sissy space like deal, slaughtering everybody inside, killing them all, and then <sighs> poor juice now, right? Yeah. Poor Seuss now, because she spins her ass, she takes, she, with her mind, she manipulates the gun out of one of the guy's hands, shoots the harpoon out of it, it goes through one of the jock's heads, through the front door, and Seuss now happens to be trying to get in, yeah. <laughs> and it goes right through Sue's head. So let me ask you a question. Did Seuss now have any kind of art in this film? No. No, no, not really. Not not really at all. No. I mean, if, if you're writing this film, and you're obviously a cinephile, and I love film, I've done screenwriting, I've done all kinds of writing in my life, aren't you going to give her some kind of better ending than that, Brian? You you would hope so. I mean, it the the fact of the matter is, it's like, yeah, it, it goes to just how... It goes to just how slapdash this movie is when it comes to... If you're going to do a sequel to Carrie, it's like this is obviously not how this this is in the end. This is not how you want to do it. You the you should if if you're going to absolutely connect it to Carrie with Sue Snell, it's like no, you want to give Sue Snell more of an arc of something to do. And yeah, I mean, like like you said, she's basically a passive observer in this movie as opposed to. Oh, as a, as opposed to being an important part of it, and yeah, the the idea of her ending that her her role in this movie ending that way, it's like oh no, that's that's not how it should go at all. I was just so disappointed. I mean, if you're gonna have her die, yeah, have her die doing something heroic, have her die trying to save Barry from the jocks, have her die whatever, do something that's gonna have some meat on it, and and make that character's arc because, you know, she's been tortured for God knows how many years now. Yeah. She's trying to make sure the thing doesn't recycle itself again. And then you just randomly, uh, it was like the most sudden thing. I'm like, oh my God, the speed just went to her head. <laughs> and she's pinned to the door. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so so that's a totally, that's a total waste of bringing that character back. Mm. And, you know, it's just one, yeah. one of many problems this film has. 
So then she's, Carrie ends up outside by the pool. Oh, Carrie, I can say Carrie. Rachel, Rachel yeah. ends up outside the the house by yeah. the pool. And it's like a Mexican standoff with a blonde girl and the alpha jock there and the home improvement kid all have the guns, right? They have the spear guns, right? Yeah. So by whatever machinations happen, the spear <laughs> The blonde girl, I can't even believe I'm going to say this. The blonde girl ends up somehow or another shooting the homeland kids' balls off with the. I can't believe I'm saying this with the uh, the har- harpoon gun. Yeah. So you see his his sash basically takes off out the back of his shorts and ends up in the pool. <laughs> I'm sorry. I know. I get the whole point, but. It's it's the whole yeah. it's the whole castration yeah. thing. Yeah. I get that. I understand. This guy is the this is the person who set this whole thing in motion, yeah. right? But it's so silly the way it's put together, you know? Yeah. And it's just kinda of like, oh my god, she just blew his his, his testicles off and then went up the back of his shorts in yeah. the pool. Right? So then she uses her psychic powers to I guess Blow the blonde girl's eyes out or crush them in. Something happens where the the blonde girl ends up eyeless. And I think right. that's why she shoots the I think it's why she shoots home improvement through the crotch. Right. I think it's what set that up. Yeah. So you have now her and you have the Alpha Chop guy, right? Yeah. Who we forget, I forgot totally that he had the flare gun. So he shoots the flare and it goes through her, right? And she you think she's gonna die and she falls in the pool. And then you think, all right, well, now she's dead. But, of course, this is a horror movie. You can't have the bad guys win. Nope. So in in a what I believe is supposed to be a, a callback to, remember in the original when Sue Snell goes to visit, or she's having that dream where she goes to visit the grave and Carrie's hand comes out of it, yeah. grabs her by the yeah. leg, she's yeah. freaking out. Well, in kind of an inverted callback, Carrie's hand comes out of the pool and she grabs the alpha jock and pulls him into the pool, right? Yeah. So, again, this is so convoluted, Brian. Did, did any of this need to be this difficult? No. Like, no, no right? No, God, no. It, it It's so absurd the way it's staged, too, because I had forgotten about the harpoon guns and stuff like that. It's like, so I didn't even think about how ridiculous it is that they have these. I, I was just marveling at how absurd it was this whole sequence was just in general. Uh it's it's such um it's such a ridiculous scene. It's like it It's a by, mess. It by this point it's by this point you can't take it seriously as a sequel to not not just a great horror movie, an Oscar nominated horror movie. Because this is SpaceX yep. and Piper Laurie were nominated for Carrie. And yes, right they were. so. And yeah, you just you you just can't take by by the end, you just can't take it seriously. And it's it's disappointing because there are there I will contend there are interesting ideas in this movie. There are interesting ways if you're going to do if you're intent on doing a new take on Carrie, even if you, whether you connect it to the original or not, there are interesting ideas in it. The problem is the execution. 
but let's let's take a look at so let's just discuss before we get back into the the ending of the finale here. Let's yeah. let's just take a look at what Brian De Palma did in his right. Yeah. So if we go through the sequence, Carrie's dancing with William Cat at the prom. Everything's thrilling, right? She's yeah. just swirling around. She's happy. Probably for the first time in her life, she's smiling. She's legitimately happy to be alive, right? Yeah. So then. She and, and it's rigged for them to win prom queen and king. So they get up on the stage, and there's this whole intercutting thing with Christy and John Travolta's character playing with this thing and the pool blood, the bucket of the pig blood and all that. Yeah. So there's all this stuff going on. And the, it's edited brilliantly, and it's shot brilliantly. It is. Right? So you get to the point where the, the, they pull the cord, and it's in slow motion. You see the blood drop and splatter. And I'm just like I said before with that first scene in the movie. Every time I watch Carrie, I'm I'm standing in Carrie's soul, in Carrie's body at that point, and I feel her. You know yeah. how horrifying. And again, think of what Brian De Palma did. The girl, scary, throwing up tampons at the beginning. No supernatural stuff. Absolutely terrifying. Right? right. Get to that scene with the pig's blood, but even before everything breaks into chaos, absolutely terrifying because it's so human. You know. Yeah. It's so absolutely human what Carrie's going through. So then you have Carrie, and Sissy SpaceX look is brilliant. Mm-hmm. She's got the freak-out face, right? Yeah. And all of a sudden, she's possessed, and now she's on, she's on a rampage. So she closes the doors, and she turns on the fire hose, and all of a sudden, everything's going nuts. Kids are trying to escape. And the one thing about that is, like, the... Um, the the principal and the the one who's the gym teacher who she actually likes, you know, a couple of people yeah. who are trying to be on Carrie's side. And William Cat, who's done absolutely nothing wrong, they all die in this horrible thing. Yeah. Because now her rage is un is no control of it. It's uncontrolled and yeah. it just goes wild, yeah. right? Okay. Now take what we just described in this one <laughs> in the sequel, right? Okay. So they go out, and they're in the pool now, and they're fighting, and somehow the guy triggers the pool cover to, I yeah. guess it's an electronic pool cover, automatic yeah, pool I cover. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, it was it's really like weird because the pool cover starts to close over the pool, right? Yeah. So they're struggling and whatnot and this and that, and then Carrie gets out of the pool somehow, and then this is like the most anticlimactic death for a bad guy. The guy just drowns because he can't get out of a pool cover. Yeah. So it's yeah. like, you have to be kidding me. Where's the pathos? Where's the drama? Yeah. Where's the comeback in this? Like, he's going to drown, that's it? You know what would have made more sense? If she threw him off the roof and he landed on a car. Because that would have yeah. brought us right back to the beginning and there would have been some poetic justice yeah. in that. Instead, you get this this weak at the knees, weak source, kill where she just he drowns. Okay, mm-hmm. so whatever. So then Jason London's character comes back and he's, you know, he's trying to convince her that I really, because now she thinks that he's in on this whole thing and it was for the points, right? Yeah. So now she's loosening bolts on part of the, the ceiling as she's talking to him and he's trying to convince her. Yeah. And then he's like, Harry, I love you. And then it's, <laughs> so then the camera pans to the television screen, which apparently hasn't playing their sex team tape long before, long past the point where they've actually had sex. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting because he says, I love you. And then 
he keeps saying it because they keep repeating it, but every time there's like a zoom of enhanced on his face yeah. to the point where at the end it's just his mouth. Because then he says, I love you in real time to her then, and that's when he says that. So, because you loosen the balls, the freaking ceiling falls in on her, right? Mm-hmm. But ridiculously, it doesn't land on him, it lands on her. Yeah. So then, the house is on fire, he's trying to get her out from under it, and she's just like, leave me. He's like, no, I can't, I love yeah. you, blah, blah, blah. And then she uses her psychic powers to throw him across the room by the door so he can get out. So I'm like, why do you know she'll just off herself? Yeah. She so that means she's still got her telekinesis. Yeah. Or, even better, if she saw it falling, why not just stop it from falling? Exactly, yeah. It's just so over-the-top absurd, and it's silly. Yeah. And it's just like... It would have ruined a good movie. It just took a bad movie and made it even worse for me. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, again, what... <laughs> it's just that, you know, my thing is, in a horror movie, every death should be earned one way or another. Right. You know? And none of those deaths are earned. No. So, again, you have, the, you have the, the girl's eyes get crushed, the one guy, you know, gets speared through the balls, and the other guy drowns in the pool. And then Carrie, who's supposed to be our lead, was supposed to sympathize with her, gets crushed by a piece of house that she could have stopped from falling on her or him, yeah. or she could just have taken it off her. So that's not an earned death in my book, Brian. That's an no, insult. No, no, and I mean it, it's it's you know it's the problem with this is that it falls into it falls into like so many of the cliches of the horror genre in general. And that's absolutely that's one of the biggest problems with it. And I mean, there there are a lot of problems with this as we've discussed. I mean, you know, it it's just one of those things where it's like, wow, you there's there's potential here. There's potential here, even if it's not for a great movie, at least for a at least for something worthwhile, and it just it wastes like all of that potential by being stupid and it's, it's stupid in all of the worst ways that you see horror movies be stupid at and especially teen horror movies be stupid at. It's, it's aggressively stupid. Yeah. And that's the problem. You know, it's aggressively stupid. Even if you wanted to stage something like that at the end, and even if you wanted to make it, Again, you know what? I you can call it a ripoff, or you can call it a callback. Even if you wanted to call back for the prom, yeah, and you wanted to have it at the kids' house, there are a million ways to do it better than what they did with it. Yeah, and that's the shame of it. You know, mm-hmm. you take a character that I was supposed to care about, and you killed her, and now, and and now I, I don't even know why. You know, because is, is it supposed to be because Carrie died, so she's got to die, and is that what's going on here? I mean, that's it's the only way. Like, I that's the only thing I can think of. And it's just like they were trying to call. They, it, it looks to me now that I'm thinking about it that they were trying to do all these callbacks that just don't work. Yeah. You know. And if you had a better writer and a more a more talented director, you know, mm-hmm. and you had something that wasn't, you know, just a blatant ripoff of, of the original, I think he could have done a lot with it. Again, is yeah. it ever going to be? Is it ever going to be the promise film? No, 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 no film that Norman Carey is ever going to be. But if you're not going to give me the Tom, like give me something interesting, give me something well made, give me something challenging. Don't Mm -hmm. give me this, you know? Yeah. 
and and that's the shame of it. You know, and there are certain scenes like like some of the stylistic choices. Every time she uses the psychic powers, things go black and white for some reason. Yeah. Which I just thought was a weird choice in this movie. <laughs> you know, I'm like, why is everything black and white all of a sudden? Yeah. Like you yeah. did that whole you did that whole thing with the paint at the beginning, the red paint. Why not make the scenes red? Mm-hmm. You know, then you have some kind of tie-in that makes sense, as opposed to wow, everything's yeah. black and white. She must be using the powers again, you know? Yeah. So again, if you had a director who was a better director and you had a better script, you could even if you want to ape carry and you want to do the whole, you know, retread thing. There are better ways to do it than this, and that's yeah. the shame, you know. Mm-hmm. And to be honest, you know, we talked about the remake from a couple of years ago with. Chloe Grace Moretz. Yeah. Sometimes it's just time for a property to go away and yeah. not be remade. You know, and I think that we've definitely gone past the saturation point where Carrie is what Carrie should be because, you know, this between this sequel and the television series and the remake, yeah. I think that you've basically taken all the power of Carrie away from her. And that's a shame. Yeah, and I mean that—that's—that's. That's, I mean, that's one of the problems with uh, Hollywood, especially when it comes to now. I mean, we see so many uh, reboots and remakes and stuff like that. Now, I mean, I will say I'm—I'm I'm a fan of what they're doing with it, but that's because at least with it, there was room for, there was room to improve the way that they. Uh, handled the adaptation previously, and there was also room to do something different. And I mean, I'm looking forward to what they're doing with what they do with chapter two of that, you know. But yeah, something, yeah, I mean, I'm with you. It's like, yeah, with Carrie, there, I I don't know that there's really anything left to do. And it's like, you know, the, the fact that you had such talent behind the uh, 2013 movie, the Kimberly Pierce movie. It's like, yeah, I mean, it, it just kind of shows that it's like, yeah, it's probably time for, uh, I mean, find a different, you know, find a different Stephen King property to adapt. See if, you know, there. I'm sure there are a few out there that, you know, might have something interesting. So... You know, the thing is that the Palmer, from the very first time I saw saw Carrie, and it had to be on television when I was a kid back in the yeah. 80s, you know, I've, I've been invested in Carrie White ever since, you know? Mm-hmm. And I've been invested in Sissy SpaceX version of her. You know, I, I remember when I got, uh, when I started getting into Audible books, it got to be like 15 years ago or so. Yeah. The first book, you know, they, the, I joined Audible.com, and they're like, okay, two bucks a month for whatever price it was. And the first book that I got was Carrie, because I'd never read it before. So I'm like, all right, so yeah. you have this available. Let me check this out, you know? And, you know, it's one of those stories that is just, it's been done. You can't ever top what the Palma did, you know? Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think that poor Carrie, <laughs> <laughs> poor Carrie can't escape. Um, can't escape her legacy, and yeah. that's kind of sad. But anyway, I will say something positive. This was by far better than End of Days. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I, I that, can say that, that. that. That is true. I mean, that is that is that is definitely something to be said for. It's like it it still makes a lot of bad choices and how it goes about the subject. It still makes a lot of bad 
choices in terms of writing and directing, but yes, it is. It it it's slightly more successful, if I dare say that, than End of Days. <laughs> well, fortunately, fortunately that Cache uh, did not cast Arnold Schwarzenegger as Rachel. This this is. This is true. And that would be that would have been an inter, that would have been a very weird choice indeed. Um, By the way, while we're on the subject of telekinesis and uh, Brian De Palma, have you ever seen his the movie that he made after Carrie the Fury? Uh, I did watch it once. I think I need to see it again because I, I, I it was it was good, but I I just I think I need to watch it again and really uh, really. Uh, sit sit with it again i definitely de palma is definitely somebody i need to uh get more into some of his films with especially sure. some of his early work uh but uh yeah i fury the fury is one that i definitely want to check out again because i the fury I is I really interesting it, i know i have the fury is it, but yeah the fury is really interesting because again he's dealing with telekinesis but he's dealing with it on a whole different in a whole different way and on a whole different scale. I think you'd find that interesting. Mm -hmm. You might like it. Okay. Well, yeah. Thank you very much, Phil, for uh, joining me on this uh, discussion. And, Again, uh, I am always happy to talk movies with you, and hopefully one day we'll be able to talk good movies. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm sure there's a few that might be coming up uh, that we could well, possibly thank talk you. about. Thank <laughs> you very much for having me as part of your 1999 retrospective. Yeah, and uh, I am very pleased, and it was my pleasure to take part. With yeah, you and and thank you for choosing movies that were not were sort of off the beaten path of what we think of as 1999. Because I mean, even even if these movies aren't good movies, at least they're at least they're movies that I feel like there are discussions to be had in them. I mean, I think that's definitely something that you can tell by the discussions we had with about the hey, look, about end of days as well. Look, plenty of people have talked over the last 20 years about American Beauty and what a great film it is and the casting and the writing and all that. Yeah. How many people have spent an hour sitting around talking about the rage Carrie too? Exactly. Probably not many. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, Brian. I'd like to thank Phil Faso for joining me today to discuss the rage Carrie too. Um, when I first saw the movie, I kind of expected a pretty interesting conversation, and uh, it it's definitely something uh, worth talking about, I think, for a lot of various reasons. Um, and I'd like to thank Phil for joining me and suggesting that movie. Uh, hit me up on patreon.com backslash Sonic Cinema. If you subscribe in the middle of the month, uh, that first month will be free, and it won't be until the beginning of the uh, next month that you uh, get charged. Hit me up on YouTube, Sonic Cinema podcast page for quick takes and other uh, podcasts. For now, though, this is Brian Scuttle, and thank you for joining me at www.sonic-cinema.com. <laughs>